0: let's pray and we'll look into God's word this morning. So Jesus, we I say this frequently and I say it not just for others' benefit but for my own, that we believe in the Holy Spirit. Um, And one of the ancient creeds says he's the Lord and giver of life. So we believe that because even when we sing or when we study the Bible that it becomes, uh, it's simply a physical exercise or mental exercise, unless the Holy Spirit's involved. Then it becomes a whole other reality that can shape us and change us so we can be the kind of people that your word says we can be, and that's full of the life and power of God. So as we open the Bible today, we want to be uh, those kind of people. we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So uh, I'm gonna start off with this. uh, I'm I'm into this uh, uh, changing orbit. So satellites. So I've I used, to, I used to tell people that if you're, if you're in a certain kind of orbit in your life, the only way to get to a different orbit, I don't know satellites, I used to say, was somehow to get from orbit A to orbit B, you have to have some kind of turbulence. So any you know, rocket boosters have to change because gravity is so strong. So I, I thought, because I thought if you're going to change something in your marriage, same something in your other relationships, sometimes you have to, something has to be turbulent. Something has to change, right? So I've been saying that, Then this week I thought... I really don't know how satellites change orbits. So I actually called up a textbook online, all right? So I was looking, so you're like, this guy's really weird. Yes, I am. Go ahead, next. So, so I, this, 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 uh, I watched this video. Now that, I'm, now that I watched the video, I know, right? But, I, but I, this, they were talking about changing from one orbit around the Earth to the other and how that happens and how you have to do that. And then go to the next slide. It had, like, pages of these kind of equations, which I'm sure cause anxiety with most of you. With me, I was a math major, I was kind of intrigued, but then after about two minutes, I was totally lost, so, all right. But they were t- talking about, and, and they used words like, I, gotta, I, gotta, I wrote them down, Use words like elliptical transfer orbit tangent, <laughs> magnitude, direction, tilt, mechanical energy, velocity vectors, gravitational parameters, and transfer velocity. Yeah, <laughs> so I thought maybe the Paul Henderson, he could have sat next to me in the library and figured that out with me, I don't know, but... But all this energy that it take, and the person who discovered this, some of it was like in 1925 before there even were satellites. And I thought, like, who are these smart people? But anyway, they, they figured out that if you're going to go from one orbit to the next, something has to change and there's energy expended, all right? You can't just wish the satellite into orbit because gravity is so powerful. You have to, the, so much energy has to be expended and you have to tilt the orbit of or the satellite a certain way to change the trajectory so it's a whole nother orbit, all right? And it, but the, the basic thing, I, the basic general principle is it takes intention and energy to change orbit, all right? It takes, forget the math, but it takes intention, energy, tilting, change to change the orbit. It doesn't change and it's pretty, a pretty traumatic event. It's not like a little bump, because if you just bump a satellite, gravity will snap it right away. It has to be intentional energy expended to change the orbit. All right. Now, I'm saying that. Go to the next slide. Because I'm, I'm going to challenge you today, and I'm going to always challenge you. I'm going to challenge myself. How do you change orbits in your relationship with God? Because, I mean, you have, if you're married now, there's a certain way, there's a certain orbit of how your marriage works. All right, if you're, and, and you know, and I know, if you want to change things, sometimes change means some kind of tr- turbulence, maybe, or something has to change because the pattern might be working, but it's not where you want it to be. All right? So we understand that. But I think also in your relationship, my relationship with God, I have a pattern of things. I have what I call the st- a status quo, the way I do things with God, whether it's how and when I pray, read the Bible give money, go to church, whatever. And it kind of works, right? It's, a, it's how I do things. And please don't mess with how I do things because I know how I do things. I have a certain chair I, so I sit in when I read the Bible in the morning and if my kids are home and I get up and when I'm sitting in my chair, I feel like I'm, I'm messed up with my life with God for that day, right? But no, because we're so used to that, the status quo. So how do you change your orbit in your life with God? And what has to change, or do you even see a need for change? And so I'm going to talk about that today. We're not going to talk math or velocity vectors, things like that. But there is intention and energy if something's going to change in your life with God. It can't just be, I hope so, I wish, I want. All right. If you want something, go to the next slide, because we're talking about wanting more. If you want more in a relationship with God, something has to change that you are active in doing. Yeah, God, God is always the one who starts the desire inside of us, but there's some way where we have to cooperate with some kind of change so we can get closer to God. So I'm kind of saying, if your orbit with God is like this, you want to get closer to God to change orbits, you got to change. Something has to change. And um, it's something I've, as even like every time I do a sermon, I think about these things so it starts hitting on me like, hey, God, what do you want me to change? Um, because the opening... Psalm today was seek the Lord with all your heart. And then a few weeks ago we had an opening psalm where it said, As a deer longs for streams of water, so my soul longs for you. And is this longing language like I don't relate to that? So I'm asking you, if there was a scale of zero to ten, where ten would be, I'm just like the psalmist, as I long for God like a thirsty deer, and I seek God with all my heart. Uh, maybe at best some of us might be at the four, five, six range. Maybe. I don't know that any of us are tens. We're not like David. We're not like Paul, who I want to be foreign. But just, there was a desire and a longing there that seems to be, at least for me, foreign, but desirable, right? So I'm saying that because I think all of us, myself included, there's, this, there's, a, there's a, you know, if you want to get closer to God, it, it's a change. There's an energy change. So, to, so this series, I Want More. And, and so I started this when I started thinking about revival. How does revival happen internally within a church, but also what would it look like if something changed in Bloomington and that it doesn't necessarily just start with like a lightning bolt from on high. It's because maybe some people are changing and God sees an opening for a spirit to do great things. So, but whenever the revival happens in the Bible and when it has happened throughout history, and there's recordings of it all around history. I was just reading this week, Tom, about a uh, revival among Lutherans in Scandinavia. So Tom's from his background, goes way back there. He's a Viking, right, all right? But, but, but so there's always times where God's spirit has been active in groups of people, but also in individuals, all right? But whenever a revival happens, the status quo shocked, the orbits change, something gets, boom, something's different. Um, sin gets exposed supernatural stuff happenings happens, whether it's Pentecost, there was Holy Spirit, but also throughout history and revivals, um, you see healing, you see all kinds of things. And I'm not, I'm not advocating for the drama, I'm advocating for the Holy Spirit. We want more of that. But there's also strong opposition because wherever God moves, Satan opposes, all right? So to do this, we, if you were here last week, so we talked about the the, the story from uh, Exodus chapter, go to the golden cow. I think I yeah, have that golden calf. All right, the golden calf, the statue, the, it's, the, it's the idol that the Israelites that God It's rescued them from slavery in Egypt with all these massive miracles. Split the Red Sea, you know, all these plagues on the Egyptians. And finally the Egyptians are like, yeah, you guys can leave. They leave. They've seen the supernatural work of God. They're on their way to the promised land, modern-day Israel. They get impatient with Moses because he's up on the mountain talking to God about what, how God wants them to live their life so they can have the fullness of joy in their life. They get impatient. They craft this golden calf um, out of their earrings. They melt down and stuff. And I just put down here, my golden calf, your golden calf, anything you want more than you want God. So they wanted predictability. They wanted you know money, whatever, sex, power, whatever. Whatever you want more than you want God is an idol in your life. It's your golden calf. And we all have them. Maybe our, some of us, are we have small ones, big ones, whatever. But we all have things that if we had to choose between I want more of God or I'd like a bigger house, we tend to think, I've already got my heaven box checked, so I don't know that I need more of God. I would like a bigger house. I would like a better car. I would like more intimacy with my spouse. So I've got this, so, but we kind of make it that, and it's like, no, we, we, if you want anything more than you want God, then you've got a golden calf, I've got a golden calf. So so, these, so you know, the whole thing was God, God promised these people, here's the progression of how the golden calves take over our lives, and here's the progression of how revival happens out of this. God tells them, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you, you're going to be my treasured possession, and the people respond a few chapters back, oh, we're going to do everything you tell us to do, God, we're going to obey everything you tell us. All right, all this grand intention, and then they get impatient with God because Moses has gone too long. They're frustrated. Boom, they build the golden calf. So, just days before, we're going to do everything you tell us to do. God will do everything. They said it days before, they said it a few weeks before, and then all of a sudden they're falling into this. And then, if you remember, God gets quite upset with them. Last week, the term the Bible uses God's angry and because they've given themselves over to idolatry, not just because God's anger. He's angry because he promised I'm going to be with you. You're going to be my treasured possession. You will live life to the fullest if you live it the way I tell you to. They, They don't believe it. They don't trust him. They fall into... And then God tells Moses in front of the people, okay, you guys can keep going. I'm not going to go with you. I'll send an angel, but I'm not going with you. And it rocks the people, and it says immediately the people go into mourning, because they realized, oh, we, we need that in our lives. Just days before, and hours before, oh, we want something else to rescue us. We want what we want. And then God says, okay, you want what you want. You go that way. I'm not going with you. And it said the people instantly kind of mourned, and they're like, they realized at least the majority of them. Some of them maintained in the idolatry, and they actually were killed. But majority of them were like they instantly realized, "Oh, we, we do want God more than we want our own idols." And and then they take off the rest of their jewelry because they're kind of realizing we don't want to be people of that kind of image anymore. We want to. We want God. And so they stopped wearing the jewel, they went into mourning, they confessed sin. And that's what I'm saying. Sometimes we have to get to the point where we realize, I don't want that to control my life anymore. Whether it's deception, sexual lust, greed, dishonesty, whatever it is that we are easy to kind of rationalize, we realize, I don't want that anymore, I want this. Okay, so then you're at that point where, okay, I do want a different orbit. I've been in this orbit where I kind of tolerate certain things in my own heart that I know really aren't what God wants, but I still got my heaven box checked, so I'm good, all right? Then we realize, I don't, I don't want that anymore. I want something different, and that's where the satellite has to change orbit, and there's energy expended. Something has to change, right? So this particular, so the, I'm going to read from chapter 33, um, and here's what changes with them, and I'm going to challenge all of us to change something in your relationship with God, bump your orbit, boost your orbit, tilt it, change the velocity vector, whatever term you want to use. Because it says they, they, they were in the morning, they stopped wearing all their jewelry, and they had kind of realized, we don't want to live that way anymore. And then I'll just start with that. This is in Exodus chapter 33. So just listen. When the people heard the stern words, which was God saying, I'm not going with you, they went into mourning and they stopped wearing their jewelry. For the Lord had told Moses to tell them, you're a stubborn and rebellious people. If I were to travel with you for even a moment, I would destroy you remove your jewelry and your fine clothes while I decide what to do. So from that time on, they left Mount Sinai and the Israelites wore no more jewelry or fine clothes again. In other words, they, they, they realized, and it wasn't about the jewelry and fine clothes, it was about what that represented and they were putting their hope in kind of that kind of success in life instead of knowing God. Then the right away the text tells us, and this is where I'm going to talk about the, kind of the what happens next, all right? You realize that, so now what do you do, all right? Then it says it was Moses' practice to take the tenth of meeting, and I'll start that in a second, and set it up far off from the camp. Just, yeah, no, go back to the other one. Just leave it on the other one for now. Let me read the text. Sorry, I should have said that. Um, whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrance at their own tents. All right, so let me tell you the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting, it wasn't like the tabernacle yet, but so they had this camp. People think there may have been a million people. We don't know exactly, but a lot. But Moses had this tent of meeting. It was a place that he had set up that he would go to meet with God. It was, it was the place that he would go to meet with and connect with God. And that was his habit. That was his spiritual habit. But you get the sense that maybe it had been closer to the camp before, but now Moses moves it far off from the camp, maybe indicating that God was distancing himself, but maybe something else was going on here. But Moses, his practice was to take the tent, set it up far off from the camp, and then everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting outside the camp and we'll go back to that verse in a second, but I'll finish the text. So whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, this is right after they all kind of realized their sin and they're mourning, they're taking off their jewelry. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand at the entrances of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. They knew something was going on in a way that was powerful. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud, probably talk more about that next week, but the presence of God shone visibly to them, manifest to them, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover over the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. So they knew something supernatural was transpiring in Moses' prayer life with God. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of the meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp. So, so this is just after they kind of realized, I, we don't want to live that way. We don't want to give ourselves to those silly idols we've been worshiping. And then they goes through me. meeting they talks about Moses. Now go to the verse about the tent of meeting. This is the verse I want to kind of focus on today. So, so it was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting. So he'd set up this place. It was a place for, to go to meet with God and set it up. Um, say the word in yellow with me. Two words, ready? Far off, all right, that's important because it was different, it was outside. Far off from the camp. Everyone who sought the Lord. So everybody had a shot. Everybody could go there. Anybody who wanted to seek God would go to the tent of meeting, read the yellow word, outside the camp. All right. So I'm going to go talk about two things here the far off and the outside nature of this tent of meeting and what that means for us, but also the idea of seeking the Lord. All right. So I want to talk about seeking the Lord first. So this idea of, you said, anybody who sought the Lord. Oh, Their psalms talk about that I sought the Lord, he delivered me seek the Lord with all your heart so it's always says these things but then I, I, I read these things and I think what does that mean how do I seek God, what am I supposed to do well it's just like when I was dating Kathy I would seek her out I wanted to get to know her, I wanted to spend time with her so it's the same kind of thing what does it mean to spend time with God and, and seeking the Lord seemed to be something that when the Bible talks about it it's something that requires some move of your heart, some tilt, so to speak, of your heart. Or it's like, No, I'm, you know, your face, O Lord, will I seek. Seek the Lord with all your heart. I sought the Lord, He heard my cry. But there's this sense of, you kind of get the sense when David prays in the Psalms or other psalmists pray, something shifted in their heart and they realize uh, this is what I need more than anything else. I need to seek the Lord more than I need more money in my bank more sex with my spouse and, or more, more power in my job. Or I need to seek the Lord more than those things. So this idea of seeking God, and when you seek the Lord, according to what we read in uh, Scripture, we give things like wisdom, peace, success. Those who seek the Lord end up having those, all the things we want in life, but it's God's way, peace, joy, wisdom, even success, not that we seek the Lord for success, we want, don't want to seek the Lord so he pads our bank account, but it seems like those who seek the Lord, joy and peace and wisdom are clearly talked about, success, deliverance from enemies, deliverance from the things that are oppressing you, seeking the Lord results in that. So it's like, so Moses, I mean, these people now are realizing, no, we, we, we want to seek the Lord. So some we don't know of all, but it said any, anyone who sought the Lord would go to the tent of meeting. So anybody could go there. It wasn't just Moses' personal private place. So you get the sense that everyone who sought the Lord would go there. And everyone, maybe also means anyone, because it wasn't all of them. Some probably were more wholehearted, and they thought, I, I, I want to connect with God. Because that was how they... The sense then, when that time before the whole, but with the Holy Spirit, now we believe the, the Spirit is in us, but we still need to turn our hearts toward Him. But in that meant sense, it was like, no, I'm going to seek the Lord with all my heart. And what does it mean to seek the Lord with all my heart? And I'm gonna, there's a there's a book. <clears throat> if there was a fire in my house, people, I always start that off with like, oh, what would I save? Right. Um, there's a few things I'd save. I mean, my wife and kids first, and my dog. Sorry, um, But uh, I, have, I have you know hundreds of books, and there's one book, other than the Bible, that I'd probably want to grab really quickly, and it's a book called, some of you may be read it, it's a book called The Pursuit of God by N.M.A.W. Tozer. This copy actually belonged to my mom or my dad, um, but I have, like, I have like four copies in my house. They're all kind of rag-worn, up rag worn, torn out. And it was written by, and this is about seeking God, and it, this, this book probably had more to do with turning my satellite in the right tilt. Because it was written by a pastor who had pastored some in Chicago, some in Canada, like in the 40s, 50s. But the whole book was called The Pursuit of God. And the opening, I'm going to read the opening uh, section of the book, but... Um, this book kind of and I know for a lot of people who've read this book I'm not saying it's the only one but it tilted people's hearts in the right direction for a new orbit to seeing God but he writes this this is the preface of the book in this hour of all but universal darkness this is written like in the 50s so but it could be also 2023 right in this hour of all but universal darkness one cheering gleam appears within the fold of conservative Christianity there are to be found increasing numbers of persons whose religious lives are marked by a growing hunger after God. They are eager for spiritual realities, and they will not be put off with words, nor will they be content with correct interpretation of truth. So good doctrine is good, but good doctrine doesn't fulfill that longing you have. I can have all the right doctrine I want. Everything's correct in my beliefs, but it doesn't stir the longing of my heart. So they're eager for spiritual realities They will not be put off of the words, nor will they be content with correct interpretations of the truth. They are thirsty for God, and they will not be satisfied until they have drunk deep at the fountain of the living water. When I read that, I think, okay, I, and I think most people would say, you know, we all have this, we, we know something should be different in our relationship with God. We know there's more to the spiritual life than checking off the I have my heaven ticket box. And I believe the right things about God, Jesus, the Bible, sin, cross. That's all important. But in the end, the Pharisees had all the right answers, right? Their theology was flawless, but they didn't know God. They, they, they chose the orbit of we have right thinking and right theology, and we're okay. But it seems like this, what Tozer says, which I think is reflected in the Bible, is there's there's an act of seeking of God, and usually it's you, we seek harder when we realize the way we've thought to think to get to get life to work for us isn't working. Golden calves don't work. They don't give us the joy we're hungering for. They don't give us the peace we're hungering for. They don't give us the fulfillment we're hungering for. They don't they don't satisfy the thirst of our hearts. And so he says, I I'm going to seek you with all my heart. And so when Tozer wrote that, I, I'm, every time I read that, I'm just like. I, that's what I want. And I think a lot of you would say the same thing. I want more in my relationship with God. Because this is all there is. It's great. I'm not saying I, But I want intimacy. It's just like you might say when you're with your spouse or with your kids. You want to get closer to them, but you know something has to change. And you know that things are going to be more fulfilling when you do that, right? So, this, so that, that's the part where it, it was interesting. That so right after this huge... Sin event, golden calves, they come to realization, they confess sin, and then there are some who say, I'm going to seek the Lord now. They realize that's the only way to find that kind of fulfillment. But the other part of this verse that I want to highlight is the far off and outside the camp, that tent of meeting that Moses put up, and it's, it's, it's clear to emphasize here that it's outside the camp, so it takes effort to go out there. Some might say, why can't you just pray for God in your own tent? You can do that. But there is something about going outside of the norm, outside of your status quo routine, far off maybe, and doing something different in how you want to pursue God. So Now, I'm not saying don't go build a tent in your backyard and say that's my tent of meeting. You can do that if you want to. I'm just saying. But I'm, my, my challenge is going to be uh, just like those people realize There was something different now about this. Is there something different God may be prompting you to do in your own routine of how you relate to God? It might be a far-off difference. It's gonna be definitely gonna be outside your current orbit. I mean, like mine lately, and this is these things small, I'm maybe I should get up a half hour earlier than I usually do. Oh, I don't. I need to sleep, though. No, but it, it's outside. That's a little bit far out of my comfort zone. You're like a half hour. You guys know what I'm talking about. Half hour is a half hour of sleep. I used to, before I had a knee surgery, I used to kneel down and pray when I prayed. My excuse lately has been I can't bend my knees very well. Well, I can bend them somewhat. So I'm wondering if God, and I've thought, God, do you want me to just even change posture at times? Or... Do I need to go to a different room of the house just to be in a different place to read my Bible, a different place to pray? And maybe, maybe even not even an agenda. I got to read my Bible here. Now, if you seek the Lord, sometimes you just, there's, you know, one of the Psalms we read earlier I talked about was, as a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. Psalm 42. Maybe you just read that Psalm every morning in a different place in your house for a while and just ask God, what does that mean? Why do I seek you differently? Or uh, there's other psalms, other passages of Scripture, you know, Paul in Philippians 3, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Well, maybe you just read that every morning for a while. Maybe you sit quietly. Sometimes I'll sit, and I have uh, different worship songs that kind of resonate more with me now. Maybe that's all I do. I I don't know. I'm just challenging you to ask God, is there something he wants you to do that is outside of your current orbit. Maybe not far, far off, but outside. Something different that he's asking you to do that will cost you something. It, it expends energy. Satellites change orbits because energy is expended. All right? It will expend energy. It might have to do with just having time alone in the morning with God. It might be I've done this at times where I've decided for maybe a few weeks I'm not going to turn off anything in the car, music or anything, and just have quiet and see if I can connect with God in the quiet. Or sometimes it's taking a long walk where I just listen to worship music. I don't know what it is for you, but God can tell you what do you do. What does he want you to do outside of your current orbit that will open yourself up to getting closer to him Again, because that's the heart of revival, is when God's people want more of God. I mean, you might say, well, why couldn't God just meet them in their own tents? Why can't God just meet you in your own routine? One of the things Tozer says in his book, too, is that what he realizes when he looks at the lives of men and women throughout history who have done good things, great things for God is they realized, yeah, God had stirred in them something, but they did something about it. They responded with something. They weren't just waiting for the holy lightning bolt. They realized God wanted them to do something outside their routine that would give God maybe a new place and space to connect with them. So I don't know if that is for you. So my, the challenge for today is simply let's go to the next. Go outside your comfort zone. They went outside the camp. Go outside your comfort zone. It may be a small thing. It may be a big thing. It may be getting up earlier, staying up later to to connect with God. Taking do something different, or at least ask God, "What do you want me to do different?" Because I do want to know You more, God. Just like I said, if you're if you're married, you understand sometimes new habits or new behaviors might be what you need in your marriage to bring more life to your marriage. The same thing with God. If He wants, but go outside your comfort zone, seek God, and I put change orbit. Um, because that seems to be uh, a message we get from Scripture in a lot of ways is that God works in us, but we work it out our salvation, so we, we do something. So, um, and I'm, I'm the, I go to the next slide because I had this slide up here before, too. I'm going to keep this up for a while, but this is the revival in China, well, one of the revivals in China, the Shantung revival in the 1920s and 30s. The prayer that rang through the whole revival that passed from town to town was, Lord, revive your church beginning with me. And the heart of revival is change, so if you're gonna gonna pray this prayer, and I'm gonna pray this prayer, God, revive the church, I don't mean Exodus church, but his people, whether it's maybe in here, maybe it's in Bloomington, maybe it's around the world, but start with me and show me if there's something outside my current routine that needs to change. Show me if there's any golden calves that I need to crush. But revive the church, God, but stop with me. So, and this, this story of the Israelites going through the desert with all these promises of, to God and great intentions, and they fall into this silly, life-killing golden calf, but then they're caught, and they realize, I don't want that. I want this, and then they choose to do something different. Most of them do. Some of them don't, because it's a choice you all have, right? So, Lord, revive your church, beginning with me. And then I'll finish with the, with the passage from Philippians that I have on the leading slide that we talked about, I don't know, four weeks ago, where Paul, which when you think about it, is still kind of amazing that he would pray this after enduring all kinds of suffering, martyrdom, arrest, stuck at sea, whipped, all these things. And then he says, You know, but I, I want to know Christ. In other words, he wants more. I want to know Christ. And I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. That's where we all wish. I wish the sentence would stop. Period. Right? I want to know Christ's power. I want that. I want power in my life. To power to forgive. Power to this. Power. You know. Power to be full of life. But then he says, "But I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death." So there's something about again stepping outside of comfort zone. So if I can even define suffering as Doing something outside your comfort zone. Obviously, there's certain sufferings that are significantly outside of the comfort zone that Paul had to endure. But if suffering is simply doing something outside your comfort zone for the sake of knowing Christ, then think about it that way. We're, we're upper middle class Americans and we have good life, so to speak, but maybe it's suffering that you are willing to engage in is I'm going to do something outside of my comfort zone. I'm going to suffer. This sounds so trite. I'm going to suffer with a half hour less sleep every night, All right? but maybe that's what it is right now. Do something different. I wanna know Christ and experience the mighty power of the raised from the dead. I wanna suffer with him sharing in his death. So even when we take communion, when Jesus says, every time you eat this and drink this, remember me, it's kind of a reflection of what Paul's saying. There's power here, but the pathway goes through openness and willingness to suffer, to do things outside of your comfort zone. And in some cases, from women and men throughout history, incredible suffering and martyrdom and persecution. But taking this bread and this cup into your body, um, it's not simply a validation stamp on your heaven ticket. It's you saying to God, "I want to know Christ more than I want to avoid suffering in life. I want to know Jesus more than I than I value guarding my own comfort." Because that's, that's hard to say. I mean, I, you know, when you say that, when I say that, it's like, well, wait, let me think about that. I want to know Christ, but is there any way we can at least make the word suffer in a smaller font? <laughs> you know, can we do something? No, it's what it is. And that seems to be throughout Scripture. Anybody who wanted to know Christ had given up on their desire to guard their own comfort. And they, none of them, regretted that. All right. So Aaron's going to come up, lead us in a couple more songs. We take communion. And uh, like I said, Jesus, the night he was betrayed, he said to the disciples, every time this is my body and my blood for you, every time you eat and drink this, remember me. And it's really remembering many things, his teachings and like that, but it's remembering this is how I am showing you how to find joy. It goes through the cross. Jesus, the Bible tells us, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then he sat down at the right hand of God. So there's something about the willingness to kind of, and I'll just, instead of the word suffering, I'll just say, disrupt your comfort. God may want to disrupt your comfort, and you have to be open to that, if, if, and it gives you an openness to maybe know Christ more in a way you haven't known him before. So, and Jesus was inviting the disciples into that, and their lives fleshed that out, but he's also inviting us into that. Because in the end, there's joy, right? So Aaron, come on up, and I'll pray, and then we'll take. So Jesus, um, I say this every week, but I say I'm, we're grateful for what you did for us on the cross, that at times it sounds even to me kind of a trite saying, because gratitude doesn't really grasp it correctly. But you did something for us. At least we believe this true from what we understand you said in the Bible, you did something for us that would turn us to a whole different orbit, a whole different course of living that gives us an access to a supernatural peace and joy and a power to forgive others that would be way more life than any of us are experiencing. That's what we want. We want to live the life that you promised us that is full of knowing you full of your joy and the peace you said the world can't take away. We want wisdom from you. We want insight from you. We want forgiveness, peace, generosity, forgiveness. We want all of those things inside of us. And we are saying to you, we do not want to guard our comfort to get that. If you need to rattle our comfort and get us to go outside and expend energy to get into a whole different life with you, Just be gentle with us, but that's what we want. And we ask this all, Jesus, in your name, amen.